Good morning. Welcome to our assembly, which has a singular purpose, to praise God. We do that in the ways God has directed we praise Him, in our prayers and songs, in our observance of the Lord's Supper, the first day of every week, in teaching and preaching from the Bible. We want all of this to give glory to God and please Him, and so in all these things we follow His Word. And we are pleased that you have made the choice to be with us. And there are two passages I want to read to begin our study together this morning. One is from Luke 13, 23 and 24. And the other is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. I think as I read and as you listen and see the words in your Bible... You'll observe these passages are very closely related. Luke 13, 23 and 24. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Matthew 7, please. Verses 12 through 14. Matthew 7, 12 through 14. So, whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I want us to concentrate now on one part of this. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 14, where Jesus said there is a way that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Listen again. Those who find it are few. So, this morning, and then again at 5 p.m., there's a very simple question. I'm going to deal with it, and I want to deliver answers from Scripture. Here's the question. Who are the few? Who are the few? My assumption is you want to be a part of the few who will be saved. Jesus actually said, speaking of final salvation, there will be few. In Luke 13, the question was direct. Will those who are saved be few? Yes. If you want to be saved and go to heaven, when you read what Jesus said about the few, you want to make certain you are in that number, right? We do. So, it is eternally valuable as a question. Who are the few? And I want you to know I'm not qualified to give an answer. I'm not qualified to come up with an answer. 
My own wisdom, my own authority isn't sufficient, actually does not exist. Jesus is the one to answer this. If Jesus is the one who said there will be few, we need to let Jesus tell us who the few are. And that's our aim this morning and again tonight at 5 p.m. I know you'll all be back. The few are the hungry. Matthew 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Somebody, maybe reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the first time, might inquire, what did Jesus know about hunger? One chapter earlier, you discover what Jesus knew about hunger. <coughs> In Matthew 4 and verse 2, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. As that period of time came to an end, the text says Jesus was hungry. I guess so. For most of us, this kind of penetrating hunger is not familiar. We may struggle with eight hours without anything to eat or even four hours without anything to eat. What Jesus went through is virtually lost on us in terms of actual experience. However, what we speak of in Matthew 5 and verse 6 is not physical hunger. It is spiritual hunger. The few are those who experience this spiritual hunger at such a depth, so penetrating, they seek to be satisfied, and God fills them. Well, what is this all about? What does it mean to be spiritually hungry? Knowing you cannot live on what the devil is feeding you. The experience of a great emptiness in your life. The husk of human religious doctrine leaves a bad taste in your mouth. <coughs> you reach a place where you want what is good and right and pure to fill your mind and your life and guide you to a richer and deeper life with God. That's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. One man called it profound spiritual starvation. Desperation that is personally admitted. <coughs> it is the heart that cries out, I must have what is right and good and nourishing for the soul. Now that's what this is the hunger and thirst after righteousness, and it is a characteristic of the few who will be saved. What a wonderful thing that God is willing to fill those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He gave His Son to atone for sin. He gave His Word to guide us, to fill us, to equip us, to get through storms, and to be His people. When I read this, I need to stop and inquire, do I really hunger and thirst after righteousness? 
Is Bible reading a chore or a delight? Does Bible study nourish you and create fresh intention to do better? When questions and issues arise in your life, what is your first response? To see what everybody else is saying or to see what God has said? The few are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The few are the persecuted. Matthew 5 and verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once you fill your mind and your life with righteousness, you can expect that not everybody will congratulate you. Let me say that again. Once you fill your mind and your life with righteousness, you can expect not everybody will congratulate you. In fact, you can expect opposition, not only from the devil, but from his operatives. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the Apostle Paul said, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There will always be persecution. <coughs> there will always be opposition to righteousness. It doesn't take the same form in various places and times, but it is a certainty. The attitude of the world toward us is not favorable. We ought not to be surprised that we are not applauded and celebrated and treated fairly when we activate our faith in Christ. There is a gathering storm of hostility against those who claim that they believe the Bible and want to follow what it says. But listen, being applauded by the world is not why we're serving God anyway. We're serving God because He is God. He loves us. He gave His Son. He made precious promises to His people about their eternal welfare. We seek no applause from the world, and we get none, and that's fine. Though it's hard. Because we go into being a Christian knowing as the world rejected Christ, we will be rejected. Yet we embrace joyfully our present relationship with God and our destiny because it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The few are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and live daily under the pressure of persecution, yet they know that victory is ahead. <coughs> there are Christians and preachers around the world, sound in the faith, who suffer every day because of the activity of their faith. There are Christians here in this country who are subjected to severe criticism, who endure economic hardship, who suffer in many ways that we may not even be aware of. But we do not hear their complaints we do not hear their complaints because what are they doing? Matthew 
5.12 is what they're doing. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They are the few who will continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness, though they are oppressed and persecuted and opposed and not applauded by the world. The few are the salt and the light. I'm in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus was the master illustrator. The perfect communicator. And when he used images in figurative language, when he gave examples of things, <coughs> he spoke to the people of familiar things, household items like salt and light. See, in Palestinian life, you had to have these two things, light to see and salt to preserve and to add flavor. Salt in that time could become polluted. It would then be good for nothing but to be put out on the path of the road. It might be said salt could be compromised and then it would be no good. Christians must never forget in our service to God through Christ, we are not only seeking our heavenly reward. While we are here, God expects our light to shine to show others the way. So it is not, I have found the way. Who cares about others? No. It is, I have found the way, and I want my light to shine so others will see the way. We may be persecuted, we may be tempted, but it will never be lost on us that we are like a city set on a hill. The few let their light shine before others. <coughs> the light must not be dimmed. And the salt not compromised or polluted. Paul Earnhardt said, Kingdom citizens, though very much in the world, must never become worldly. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is telling us who the few are. I have one more, and then I'll do two others tonight. The few are people who are not anxious about the things of this world. That is to say, they are spiritually minded. I'm in Matthew 6, and I'm beginning to read at verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. 
Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, <coughs> or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There is evidence all around us, and possibly in some of us, of being enslaved to money and things. People frantically scratching lottery tickets before leaving the convenience store. Sometimes four of them in front of me when I'm waiting to pay for my coffee. Families locked into long-term debt without adequate cash flow to pay for groceries because they wanted these things. Not content with what we have. When the latest gadget hits the market, the coveting seems to start everywhere. It's ambition out of control that must be satisfied, sometimes called materialism. Not everybody, but many without a doubt. <coughs> Jesus warns us that anxiety for things is a threat to our relationship with God. The more we get caught up in the things of this world, especially when we covet far more than we really need, the greater the danger of enslavement to this world. The few, this says, are not anxious, do not worry about food, drink, and clothing. Certainly we accept responsibility to provide for ourselves, but with full confidence in God that He will sustain us and care for us. The core of this passage I've read is one's ultimate trust in God. We take responsibility while resting in our trust in God, and therefore we are able to seek first the kingdom of God. The few are thus engaged. So here it is. Strive 
to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Sermons like this should take us to Christ if we haven't obeyed Him. And sermons like this should keep us walking in Christ if we are baptized believers. I want to stay with Christ through the narrow door and be a part of the few to arrive at God's throne cleansed by the blood, having grown in my faith and ready to rest with God forever. Forever. I'm going to have more on this theme when you come back at 5 p.m. Let's be standing while we sing.